News. 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 New York City. The FAQ NYC podcast getting more and more interesting by the minute. FAQ. It's FAQ NYC, the socially isolated edition. This new world we're in. I'm Harry Siegel uh, here in uh, Windsor Terrace, Brooklyn. With me are Professor Christina Greer. Hello. Shout out to Crown Heights, everyone. Alex Brooklyn. Hello. Hello from Greenwich Village. And Adam Kamara. Hey. Adam's in Dimness Park. So we're all adjusting to this strange new world, and let's jump right in. Alex, you've been uh, covering Mayor de Blasio and his press conferences all week. Um, Do you want to fill us in on the latest as we record this at 6 p.m. on Wednesday? Uh, Yes. So today was a little weird because he did not hold a press conference for us. Um, for the the people covering City Hall or the reporters at City Hall. Obviously, this poses a problem because the people that cover him the most, that know the issues the most, are not there to actually ask him questions. Um, so he was on like Hot 97 this morning. Then he did a little bit on New York One. Then he did a little bit on uh, WCBS. So none of the regular reporters there got to really ask follow-up questions on stuff we talked about yesterday. Um So where we're at right now, there are 1,871 confirmed cases in New York City, and there's 11 people dead. I believe that Connecticut just announced their first person who died from the coronavirus. And numbers, which I don't have with me at the moment, have doubled, however, in Long Island, which makes sense, though, because their drive through facility was up and running in Nassau County that the, the state put together today. Yesterday, he did <clears throat> announce that the city was partnering with bioreference laboratories, and they were making it possible for us to do up to 5,000 tests per day, but we hadn't ramped up to that point and wouldn't ramp up to that point probably for a few days. What else is going on? Jumani Williams is calling to halt low-level arrests, arrests for misdemeanors, what he calls like, um, uh, or what is rightly called broken windows policing. And this is not, he's not like alone in calling for this. Um, Legal Aid put out something to halt all NYPD arrests, but that was a little wide sweeping. Zelnor Myrie also talked about this. So what was interesting. Rory Lansman. Rory Richards and uh, the council speaker wrote a letter today to the mayor and uh, the chief judge and the five DAs um, listing a whole series of steps they say they should take. Um, that followed uh, Eric Gonzalez, the Brooklyn DA's announcement that he was going to cut down on low-level arrests. Well, 31 prosecutors from all across the USA signed basically mutually agreeing to limit the number of people incarcerated in jails, prisons, detention centers, etc. And that was released yesterday as well. Uh, Ohio and California have both released people. What's what? What's frustrating about um, the speed at which this is happening is that yesterday the mayor said that he that they were already assessing uh, on a case by case basis how many people they would be able to let go or that 
could be let go for public safety reasons or if they were um, old or had health conditions. And he said it was 20 – he wanted to see people being released 48 hours from yesterday. Now, when I was listening on WCBS just now, he said 48 hours from now. So that adds another 24 hours. And uh, as Christina Greer actually told me, <clears throat> she sent the uh, Daily News article where sources – are saying that the first confirmed case in Rikers has happened, which means, I mean, it's only a matter of time. There's an employee there who died. Yes, um, the employee. At least one uh, person who's incarcerated there who who, uh, who has the, uh, the coronavirus. Right, first incarcerated person testing positive, according to the Daily News, sources for the Daily News. So that's sort of where we're at today. Um, I mean, there's a lot of good news for people who are worried about money. The government is, was talking yesterday about $1,000 being put into the hands of Americans. Now they're talking about $2,000. The expansion of unemployment, sick leave, that's on a national level. And then on a state level, uh, Cuomo has proposed legislation to give some relief for small businesses. I mean, there's a lot going on that I think people could find comfort in. Alex, what is uh, Corey Johnson and the city council proposing at this point? Well, Corey, both Corey Johnson and Scott Stringer want to shelter in place, um, which is, oh, that was the other really weird battle. So I kind of was a little miffed about this. The mayor had used the term shelter in place. The governor had said, in no way are we going to quarantine New York City. Then in the middle of the mayor's press conference, the governor's secretary on Tuesday sends out a press release saying quarantine or shelter in place. Now, this weird pissing match that was sort of overcovered, um, what ended up happening was that real like people who aren't completely enmeshed in the day-to-day local political coverage of New York City were just incredibly confused and honestly kind of frightened. Um, and I think that the clarity there was it, it, it happened a little bit today, but I think, uh, I think it was just a, a bad debacle and bad form on both the governor and the mayor's part. But Corey Johnson, Scott Stringer are calling for uh, to shelter in place. And then Corey Johnson is calling to follow suit with Eric Gonzalez and basically try to get some people out of Rikers and other New York City jails and prisons. Christina, what is, a, what is this like for you as a professor and for your students right now as institutions are scrambling to figure this out and, um, and, and leaving their students to scramble? often on their own and while they're dispersed over this break to, uh, to figure out what they're doing and where they're going to be living and what's happening with their studies. Right. Well, the good thing is spring break is this week. Unfortunately, I don't think it's going to be much of a break for anyone. It definitely hasn't been for the faculty. Um, we all joked about how we hated meetings, and now I think we realize that we hate emails even more. Um, but I think for students, you know, a lot of us just really want to have a lot of empathy with them and just kind of check in and see where they are, you know. I don't want to make assumptions that my students have high-speed internet, laptops, and a home that they that they want to be in. You know, well, luckily, we're talking I'm, about classes over Zoom indefinitely for now. When well, is closed. Well, Fordham and Columbia, and I believe NYU have, have all said that you know classes are suspended uh, for the rest of the semester. Yep. Um, 
So, you know, I think for a lot of seniors, unfortunately, the question is, will they have a graduation? Um, and that's weighing heavily on a lot of my students just because they've put in four years of hard work. Obviously, the athletes have put in four years of hard work. You know, the people in the mock trial teams, you know, the people in student council. So all of that is just going to end uh, without any fanfare. So I think that, you know, uh, for those of us who did attend our college graduations, uh, if we went to school, I think that's a, it's a nice way to sort of signal closure, which a lot of students won't have. I think, you know, a lot of faculty, when I go back to the classroom, uh, the virtual classroom on Tuesday, I really am just going to focus on, I think a lot of faculty are doing this, a real temperature check uh, just to see what types of instruction we should move forward with. You know, Smith College has already moved all their classes to pass-fail. Um, many of the New York schools, I don't believe, have done that yet. I think a lot of universities are weighing their options to see uh, if, that's, if that's a realistic option, which I think for a lot of students would be a welcomed option. Um, you know, obviously some students need to be in class just to give them a sense of normality. Um, and others just have way too much to focus on. You know, keep in mind, for those of us who went to college and may have had, you know, a, a job, I worked at the registrar's office. Um, that was, you know, that was my little play money. But, you know, I have quite a few students who work um, in the gig economy or freelancing of some sort where it's, it's their real money and they're supporting not just themselves but members of their family. Those jobs are obviously um, not available to them. So I want to stress to them that, you know, yes, their schooling is incredibly important, but we also need to prioritize. And I mean, for me, I'm just trying to model the behavior that I want them to have, which is A, a sense of calm, but B, a sense of really um, prioritizing what's important and taking time for themselves if they need it. I'm just curious what this is going to mean going forward for, for higher education. Uh, you know, Right now, the carpet's just pulled that been pulled down from everyone. But in New York, at least, putting CUNY and maybe SUNY aside, with the uh, with the private schools, this is to some extent uh, real estate business. Oh, listen! I always joke that you know Columbia, NYU, and a lot of other universities are just real estate agents that happen to teach kids on the side. But you know, in all honesty, I mean, there are a lot of obviously dedicated professors who really care about this. But we do know that these institutions rely on students coming to campus so that they can actually expand their campuses and their programs, not just in New York, but abroad as well. And, you know, I, I think we can assume that we're going to have some shortcomings in enrollments uh, just because, you know, as we talk about the upcoming recession, I think for a lot of families, they're feeling it already this first, you know, week and a half. So sending a, a child away to school, sending a child to a private institution, um, sending a child to college just in general might not be a fiscal option uh, in the fall of 2020. And so I think the higher education is going to have to um, reevaluate certain things. I mean, obviously, a lot of schools, if they're, if they're able, are returning room and board, which is a huge financial hit for a lot of universities that wasn't expected. Um, Still, so, I mean, I think the students, though, who, who you know, this is this is your lease. It's where your things are stored. Well, a lot of students still have things in in the dorms because yep. because of the spring break schedule. Many students last week, when when Corona essentially came to New York, um, were told, you know, we are we're moving to online. Please, please exit the dorms as quickly and quietly as possible. Uh, many students, 
you know, live in the tri-state area, they were able to go home pretty quickly. Um, other families, you know, if they had the means, were definitely afraid of some sort of travel ban. And so students flew home pretty quickly um, just to make sure they could. And so they packed a suitcase or two, but the vast majority still have quite a bit of their their lives, you know, in a dorm room. And so for those of us who went to college, you know that, you know, when you're 18, 19 years old, you know, those few suitcases that you pack are essentially the, the things that you hold nearest and dearest. That's why you've taken them to college. Um, and so I think that the logistics of getting their things back um, at some point in time will, will be another discussion. Uh, most of these universities across the city really do rely on summer school, usually international students and international programs to fill the dorms. And those programs obviously either will not exist or they will exist online, which is another financial hit. Um, obviously, the international student population, which by and large does not receive financial aid, you know, that will obviously um, slow down just a little bit uh, for the time being. So there's some real short-term and long-term financial ramifications that higher ed, especially in New York, will face. Um, I mean, I think on the professor side, we're sort of worried about our students and their mental well-being. And I think the administrators who get paid much more than professors um, are worrying about sort of the financial health of the university. It's interesting with the international students, those have been a revenue driver for a lot of schools. Like they're paying full freight. So, so that's been part of what's supported the economic model that a lot of schools have operated under. Uh, I'm curious how the coronavirus, which obviously is not a respecter of borders itself, might change that, that equation going forward. Oh, I think it will. I mean, first of all, we know that the fact that our president is calling this the Chinese virus in these racialized, racist terms will will most likely affect visas that are allocated to students. But, you know, a lot of universities have talked about, you know, this, this tap that has been turned on in the past, say, 10 years from China. And it has essentially been this gold mine that a lot of universities have benefited from, and they know that they shouldn't rely so heavily on this... It, it almost seems like an, an unyielding stream of students that can come from China and um, pay full freight. And so I think a lot of universities have said, you know, we, we can't rely on this, but until we sort of get on our feet, we know that we are relying on this. Um, we don't want to, but, you know, it's, it's almost like the gift that just kept giving and you didn't want to, to leave it on the table. And now we know that unfortunately it is going to be harder for Chinese students to probably attain um, visas. Uh, we know that, you know, because of what's going on in the economy of China, um, there might not be as many families who are able to send their children to the United States. So there's there's an issue on the, the sending end and the receiving end. Um, and I think a lot of universities, you know, have really relied on that guaranteed cash. You know, a lot of universities, definitely are very proud of the number of students they have on financial aid just because they're trying to have a lot more class equity at their universities. But um, it's because a lot of international students are paying full freight. And we also have to think about, you know, our Chinese students who some of them are from Wuhan, China. So where are they going to go during these times? We have students who are from Italy. Where are they to go? Um, and so there's, you know, we're sort of grappling with this unprecedented situation, which is on the one hand, I see it as, you know, making sure that the mental health of my students 
um, is first and foremost, but I definitely understand that the financial health of the university has to be considered. And we know that this administration, you know, views immigration in a very hostile manner, unless it's, you know, serving the president's pockets in a specific way. Um, but we, we do know that he now has his sights set on demonizing and racializing Chinese people. Um, and that is definitely going to, to have effects that are felt at the university level. So I, I, I pretty much try to never leave New York. Uh, if I wanted to, it's probably too late now. And <laughs> 10 years ago, I left for a year and I went to the University of Michigan on a, a fellowship for journalists. And I spent, while well, well, my fellow journalists spent their years productively, I spent a lot of time in pinball pits, which was the pinball parlor in a basement on the uh, the strip where all the uh, the kid bars were. It was an excellent place. I, I still have high scores in medieval madness and funhouse and many other games. I'd like to believe, but one of the things that grabbed me was just watching like young people and their social dynamics as I believe, right. Is there would be these, these very put together on a Friday or Saturday night or on a Tuesday, like a uh, put together women in Michigan in January in the cold, uh, standing outside, not dressed for the weather. Um, and then these these really not at all put together drunken guys who, who would sort of be circling around them, and the dynamic really confused me. Uh, why 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 these women would be interested in these fellows and so on, and I ended up talking with the um, previous president at the time, who broke this down for me, which was basically the state had cut into the university's funding. To make that up, they'd started increasing the number of out of state students. Mm-hmm. And international students who paid more, who paid significantly more, and they use that to fix the quote-unquote tipping point, where you don't want a school to be more than than sixty percent of either gender. So what you ended up with were were very intelligent and and uh, together and um, Michigan women or, or, or uh, you know older girls, and 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 then these slovenly guys and it was nominally there, there was a one-to-one ratio but like the, the the standards for being an available and appealing guy were so much lower mm-hmm. because their overall quality was lower because they were implicitly just there to play pay the place's bills and it seemed like some sort of incredible globalization symbol in which the uh you know the the the, the, the fine young women of uh, michigan were being Taken away by the uh, by by the loudish you know uh, half-ass second-generation cosmopolitans of the world, and I, I see this as I pass. So I came back to New York, and I never looked back. <laughs> well, I'm glad you're back. But I, I mean, yeah, but me I will say I will say this, Harry. I mean, when we think about just how many universities rely on international students, and we know that this is a global pandemic, and so it's, you know, obviously the the countries we've talked mostly about are, you know, China, Italy, um, you know, South Korea, but there's so many countries that will be affected by this. I, I definitely do wonder what, you know, what our international population will be. But I mean, you know, for all of the sort of critics who are constantly saying like, oh, college is, is useless and everything should be online, you know, like, let's be clear. I'm only with my students, you know, one particular class, I'm only with them three hours of the week. You know, they're only in class for, say, 12 to 15 hours a week. They're studying. They're doing so many other things. And so much of college is not actually being in class with me. It actually is inter- interacting with the kid from 
Brooklyn who's leaving New York for the first time and is like, and I'm returning as soon as possible, right? I mean, so much of it is interacting with the student who is the international student or the student who's from the small town or the student who's never met a gay person before or the student who's never lived with a person of color before. Like, those are the hard conversations and, like, the the tensions and the beautiful moments that are part of the experience. And unfortunately, I think for a lot of families, they're going to have to make really hard choices. And, you know, I think a lot of New York universities are going to have, and I mean, universities across the nation, but, you know, specifically New York universities are really going to have a hard time. I think the schools that will really benefit from real talent and brilliant minds are the community colleges where they already have so many talented individuals, but they're probably going to get even more really smart people who just are choosing a community college for the first two years because uh, financially it just makes more sense. So as we are recording this, the New York Post has um, put out an article saying that the corona, a coronavirus cluster in the New York City Hasidic community has been confirmed. This is at 6.03 p.m. on Wednesday, roughly one hour after Bill de Blasio said on New York One that he had confirmed that this cluster was not, in fact, there, but a rumor. I mean, on the one hand, I do think that as the numbers grow, if they look anything like what was in Italy or France, it's going to be really hard. Confirmation here. I'm sorry, just peeking at the story real quick. Is that is that uh, the Samar Rebbe has now issued an edict to close all uh, religious buildings, um, and then there's a rep from One Urgent Care saying that they've had over 100 uh, positive tests come in from people who were quote from the community. Hmm. I think it's going to be really hard for officials to keep all the news coming in in real time. So I almost at this point would forgive the mayor for saying one thing an hour ago that now you know. But yeah. Alex, I had one more thing to ask you about, and then I would like us to, to lightning round. But, but sticking mildly with the college theme, can you talk about this piece you had up on the, uh, at the Daily Beast? No gloves, no masks. Business is booming for uh, drug dealers who uh, deliver. Well, it's kind of crazy that it's only Wednesday, and um, the dealers that I dealt with, mostly we talked Sunday and Monday, are dealing with a whole bunch of different problems. And at that point, there was a lot of people still really not taking this thing very seriously. So the two drug dealers I interviewed, uh, they do delivery. They're not like street dealers. One primarily does weed and the other one primarily does like party drugs and a little weed. Party drugs being MDMA and ketamine and things like that. Um, however, psychologically habit forming, they're not the same kind of dealers, according to both of them, as people who deal in like high habit forming drugs, which would be dope, heroin, and anything with a benzodiazepine. Cause anything that causes like a severe withdrawal is a different kind of dealing, according to them. Now, one of these people does super, super high end rich clientele and was just saying people were laughing. And it was it would make them uncomfortable, and that was the same with the the what person. What would make them uncomfortable? 
a, a mask would make them uncomfortable or gloves and kind and of you, like this person has come to their houses right to uh, to to deliver these things yeah everybody okay, one person had asked one of the dealers to meet them outside um that person said he assumed it was over this, but di- didn't really stop to talk about it. The other person said that they just go right into the house. It would make the people uncomfortable, and they laughed it off because most of them were gonna were joking about how they were gonna leave town anyway. Obviously, that's more affluent clientele, um, and one of them was actually concerned. They said this stuff does a number on your immune system. Um, I'm less concerned with people One of the getting. Dealers was concerned. You mean? Yeah, was concerned for their customers. This is no time to be weakening the immune system. Oh boy. Yeah, I mean, the other thing is that methadone clinics in the city are still operating at full force, and there's a couple photographs I got from some of them where they're just having people stand a little further apart. I went by one in downtown Manhattan the other day and they had people kind of like crammed in on a line um, like sardines. I can't imagine that this is going to end up well for a population, um, the population of like addicted New Yorkers on on methadone treatment programs or in homeless shelters. Um, I think that you know, the conditions are just, they're just not set up to respond with all these like mini clinics as fast to all these quickly changing regulations. It was only a few days ago that the CDC said like, don't hang out in groups of 50. Then a day later, they were like, actually don't hang out in groups of 10. Um, and as much as the, the city might try, it's hard to disseminate this kind of information to places that have to deal hands on with you know, mentally ill, uh, chemically dependent, or homeless. So one more question for you here. How well prepared are 12-step programs like AA and NA to uh, deal with this as best you can tell? All right. Well, so as best as I I can tell, the usually very technologically avoidant 12-step programs, I mean, the younger members of these programs, a lot of whom come out of the wave of the opioid crisis have kind of rise to the occasion here and created uh, via Zoom, just like everybody else, via Zoom, Google Hangouts, um, whether it's just FaceTime, WhatsApp, what have you, have really tried to fill in the gaps for the fact that a lot of these spaces are closing. In New York City, a lot of these meetings rely on churches and schools. Both churches and schools are kind of the landlords. So they very early on were just like actually, you know, put a hold on those meetings. The clubhouses of the city where um, the actual room or the building is a dedicated space that only holds meetings, those uh, those places were slow to close. And I think there's still a few of them open. However, I know that they're all considering closing because at this point, they're what they're becoming is a place to be for displaced New Yorkers. Um, and the people that generally know about them are active addicts and, and alcoholics. So there's, there's that sort of situation happening in the, like, quote, in the rooms, so they say. Um, I think dealing with New York's chemically dependent is going to be a bigger issue than, than people realize. Alex, I was just wondering, it, I, I read a story a few days ago that AA was thinking of closing for the first time in New York. Is that accurate or no? 
Well, from what I understand, AA isn't exactly one thing. AA is like a book. Uh, So each meeting is its own meeting with its own space and its own arrangement with like a church or whatnot. There is no like general rule that would shut down all the meetings. Now, New York City is the most heavily populated um, meeting place in all of the country. Um, We were, if you were to count, I guess there would almost be like a meeting every hour of either AA or NA until the very wee hours of the morning. So this is like going from a whole population that always has somewhere to go to having nowhere to go, especially if those clubhouses close. So there's no mandate, single mandate that would shutter all the meetings. Each meeting had to shutter like one by one. And it was kind of strange to hear those reports coming in. So Chrissy, Alex, I got a couple questions for you. I'll answer honestly for myself. One, how socially isolated are you as of now? I'm pretty socially isolated. I've been going on walks on Eastern Parkway, and I've gone to the grocery store. I had to tell a dude to back up off me today just because he was a little close. Um, but I am in my apartment with Lawrence Fishbowl, so I don't need to go out. I've got FaceTime, and I just, because I'm still fighting this cold, um, I just don't think that I should be out infecting others or possibly getting infected. I am less socially isolated. So I am in my apartment with Adam Levy. And once for the past few days, I was walking from my house, not taking the subway or a car or anything, walking from my house to City Hall, going inside City Hall for the the presser, and then walking back. I'm like, at first, people were sort of looking at me like I was too prepared or like uh, nag or whatever, but I've been, definitely been nagging people. I wear gloves, and when I go inside a place, I take those gloves off and I throw them in the garbage, and I have like wipes just because I don't want to carry something asymptomatically and then, you know, pass on to an older person. I'm taking a lot of precautions. Today, however, uh, Adam and I went to, we're not married yet, but we went to get our marriage license. Um, as a lot of New Yorkers, I think, are, are maybe considering um, when we're so unsure about where our, um, you know, where our lives are going to end up financially, uh, Adam and I, who have been engaged since uh, for like a month, decided to go get a license and then possibly tomorrow or the next day actually tie the knot. How hectic was it uh, getting when you were getting the license and how, how much distance was there between people? They were keeping it pretty distant between people. Um, there was not that many. I think I would say maybe like eight couples either going for their license or going for the second part, the actual ceremony, um, after they've waited 24 hours, um, nobody was touching anybody. They had hand sanitizer. I, the day before very carefully had to go to 60 center to get some, to get a copy of my divorce paperwork. Um, and they were also (laughs) really careful. There was literally no one in the county clerk's office. Um, I was wearing my little gloves. The guy behind the counter said that I looked like one of the characters from Peaky Blinders, and then recommended that while I was social distancing, I watch that movie, uh, 
the power or powers or something, that it was another gangster show. Why, divorce doesn't even mean anything nowadays, Hildy. It's just a few words scrolled by a judge on a sheet of paper. Yeah, thank you. The His Girl Friday quote, uh, Ben Hecht inspires us all. And with that, we'll save the uh, congratulations until there's a, a second ring on it. And thank you, Alex. Thank you, Chrissy. Thank you, Adam Kamara, for producing this week's episode. FAQ NYC is hosted at the McSilver Institute for Poverty, Policy, and Research at NYU. And we recorded this week from our isolated homes. All over the damn place. We've got, we've got some plans going forward to, uh, to be talking with officials and putting up interviews probably more regularly in between these episodes, just given the pace of events. And then we'll be convening to talk every Wednesday and to have those out to you every Thursday, knock on wood. So stay safe, stay calm, stay kind, and stay healthy, everyone. And uh, we'll see you soon. Thank you. Thanks, all. F-A-Q. It's F-A-Q N-Y-C. Wait, hold on, Harry. You sound cracky, Harry. Yeah. Yeah, like cracky Larry. It's stuttering. You sound like Larry. Oh, wait, did I say Larry? Oh, my God, I'm losing my mind. No, you said Harry. I said Larry.